Well, we've got history today on the Mentality Podcast. We've got the first ever female to appear on the Mentality Podcast. She's the first guest. She's a wonder woman. She's brilliant, Steph. We met Steph over in Hanoi. Me and Dom travelling for a three-week spell to Vietnam. We met her in Hanoi after a, an amazing yoga session. We uh, kind of barged our way over to sit down with Steph after she'd pulled the laptop out to do some work, but we kind of got over there and, and talked her ear off for a good three or four hours, I think. But I think she enjoyed it. We hit that floor state conversation and I'm going to give a bit of an intro to who Steph is and I'm going to use a LinkedIn bio because interestingly enough, she's got a bit of a different one. She's not looking for a job right now, um, but she's updated it still. Um, and this is all self-dubbed. Steph is a woman. She's Vietnamese, Chinese American. She's a millennial. She's a recovering workaholic. She's a curious traveler, self-care obsessed, and she's a storyteller. Steph quit her corporate job and she's now traveling around the world for a while to push out her comfort zone, to explore mental and emotional well-being, and also to make amazing memories along the way, like everyone is. But she's actually founded wildtypebeauty.com to share stories in an effort to destigmatize mental health and wellness. So we'd kind of bumped into each other and, and found a real familiarity and, and kind of connection there. Um, and Steph wants to, on wildtypebeauty.com, get real about self-care and to be vulnerable, show the strength and vulnerability. Wildtype's a collection of personal essays that are uncurated and unfiltered and also unchronological. She's got a lot of different perspectives on there and she's got the voice of a best friend and she's, she's vulnerable herself in there and she's really honest. And the article's written purposefully with a real and raw along the peaks of joy and inspiration. And this is where it gets interesting because Steph wasn't just in the corporate world. She was, she had some amazing reputation in the corporate world and, and some really good status jobs there. She was a product developer living in New York City, designing luxury cosmetic goods. Sounds like a dream, but before that, she actually lived in Washington, D.C., serving American people as deputy director on the staff of First Lady Michelle Obama. Now, that's an amazing job. You know, something which is a dream job, I think, for Steph at that time. But we talk a little bit about why she's travelling for six months, you know, what, what brought that, that stage of her life on and why she took an alternate path for what she thought she'd always, always take and what she'd always have. We touched on this in, in that chat, in that conversation that we had when we first met. We kind of go back over that, but there's some other stuff that comes out and some lessons she learned from working in such a such a high regarded and such a frantic job I guess 24-7 job non-stop um, but we really really see how Steph's kind of looking to to understand herself understand what she wants understand the nuts and bolts of of what is going to take her to her next next level and, and next chapter of her life so I wanted to put that little bit of an intro in there we'll talk a little bit about her version of how we met and my version of how we met but I hope you guys can also listen in. If you enjoy it, give us a five-star rating. That'd be awesome. And um, leave us a little bit of a review on the, the Apple iTunes podcast or whatever platform you listen to it on. And also get in touch with Steph. She says you get in touch with her um, through the blog, uh, which is wildtypebeauty.com. Her Instagram is Stephanie underscore Lee XO. 
um, on Instagram if you want to get in touch with her on that. She is an incredible lady. I love the chat and um, I love staying up to up to date on tab with what she's doing now traveling the world and she's currently in indonesia and she's been surfing all day after speaking to her today so a little bit jealous but without any more of me rambling on i'll jump straight into the podcast enjoy it guys i think for the mentality listeners i'll intro how we met and um it was it was in a, a different type of place that we met, but I remember there were me and Dom we were travelling Vietnam for three weeks, and by this time where we'd met you, we'd landed in Hanoi. If I'm right, it was in Hanoi, wasn't yeah. it, Steph? Yeah, um, and that was after we'd been to Ho Chi Minh uh, for three for two or three nights, and then we'd also been to Phu Cock, and then after a mix up of the flights. Um, leaving Fulcock the night before we got an email saying that the flight had changed times. So we inevitably missed that flight. And then we ended up getting a flight instead of going to Kanto straight to Hanoi. And then that led us to Hanoi for the first night. We got there for the first night and we were a bit bemused with it because it was really quiet and it was, I think it was, I think it was Friday night, really quiet and there weren't many bars open and we kind of, Bumble around Hanoi, trying to trying to get get to grips with it. We've just been to Ho Chi Minh, but um, a lot less furious and a lot less um, a lot less going on. Anyway, the next day we'd woke up and we'd thought we needed to get into some sort of yoga and start moving our body again because I get all agitated and frustrated when I don't move my body for a while. Um, and we went into this yoga class, uh, which was were pretty tough. Were pretty tough, if I remember. Um, but me and Dom were the, the guys at the back of of the um, of the class being loud and that yeah. we were being loud, weren't we? I'll Out, take over the story from we're here. Being boisterous, yeah. yeah. You, you guys were the chatty the chatty ones in the yoga class when everyone's like <laughs> trying to get into the zone of Zen. You guys were the the laughy ones in the back having a good time, and I remember being like, ugh. Yeah. Those guys are the chatty ones. <laughs> <laughs> this is my time to, to relax and to, to, to become zen or get, get, get down with the zen. Yeah. And me and Dom were, um, I, think, yeah. I think you accused us of flirting with the, the Korean um, yoga teacher. Oh, we totally. Just, I think that just she, gets mistaken as being friendly for, for people outside of the north of England. <laughs> um, so, well, you guys certainly are friendly. So, But basically, I remember like, oh, there's a cafe attached. I was like, oh, I'm going to get some work done, open up my laptop, you know, get to the zone and do some writing. And then you and Dom come through and you're like, hey, can we join you? And I was like, why not? <laughs> yeah. And that turned into what, like four or five hours? Yeah, you just you just kind of opened up your laptop. I don't know if you're going to start blogging or start doing some work, but we thought, well, she looks quite approachable. She looks like a nice girl. She was all right at yoga. You know, we'll we'll go over sit we'll go sit down and talk to you. But I think that that like you say that opened up a a, a kind of slot of a, you know a, a four hour chat or a four hour time we were together before we ended up meeting up for dinner again that night. Um, and we'd, we'd gone through it. I've kind of been through it with you um, for why you're in Indonesia right now. But if you could take us a bit through your background, Steph. Um, 
for what Super. actually kind of ended up or led you to, to become deputy director in Michelle Obama's office. Um, and then we can go from there and, and for why you're traveling and, and for, for why you took a, a different path or an alternate path from that as well. Yeah. Well, firstly, we have different accents, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah. I'm from different. the U.S. Yeah. Um, so basically, I grew up in the South and, you know, did kind of like the normal thing. You go to university, you maybe study something that you'll never do. Um, but actually, what led me to working at the White House for the First Lady was um, it was 2008, and it was uh, Barack Obama's first time campaigning for president. And the message was just so loud and clear in terms of hope and change. And and I think I was just 21 years old, you know, and it's something to be said about seeing somebody that looks different from every other president that's ever existed yeah. and the message of positivity that he had. And I was immediately captivated and actually joined the campaign in terms of volunteering. Um, I went on to work at the general election um, and then headed over to the inauguration, which is basically the big swearing-in party in Washington, D.C. And it became a rat race, but essentially I didn't know that you could work on the campaign and do all these things and maybe end up at the White House. And I think that's because beforehand, you know, people who didn't look like me by the way, I'm an Asian woman, didn't look like me, <laughs> went to the White, the White House. And so it never kind of clicked in my head, oh, like you can do this too until the Obamas were there. So I actually joined that administration, um, kind of working in logistics and operations and then made my way over to the White House when I heard that the First Lady's office uh, needed another person to join the team. And there is where I learned, you know, leadership looks so different you know, um, you can look different, you can come from a different background, you can think differently. And all of that is a plus. Those are, those are signs of leadership because we should all think differently and all have a seat at the table. Um, mm -hmm. So when I was there, I was actually managing the first lady's schedule and events. So managing teams on the ground who set up all of her events, working with the Air Force, the military, Secret Service. So it was definitely a 24-7 job. Yeah. Uh, so to make a long story short, I worked there with the Obamas for in total six years from the campaign to the very end of 2013 and decided to move to New York and join corporate life where I worked at one of the biggest beauty brands in the world, developing and designing makeup. And it was a great look into corporate life. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, just to be frank, my husband left me. And yeah. when I think you and I kind of connected over this in the sense that everything that you think your life is going to be, that one moment that everything changes and your expectations for life, like your knee, you know, mm. and the injury that you had. And then also my husband leaving, I thought we would have a baby or this, or life would look a certain way. Once that option is gone, you're kind of left with this gaping hole. Mm. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, I think, I think. There's, um, I was speaking to someone, um, and she is a psychotherapist actually, and it was, uh, I was doing some talks through mentality for her. Um, I think it was last year, um, the back end of, of, of last year, um, and she was saying that we make so many decisions in the day, like it's in the, it's in the tens of thousands of decisions that we make in the day, but there's four or five decisions that you'll make in your life that are actually life altering or life changing and defining mm -hmm. decisions. Um, 
and I, I think that that's one moment for me where um, I kind of looked down at my knee where me and Janine are like, right, well, there's got to be a decision in here which which will probably change something. Uh, it'll change a, a bit of a path that I'm on. Um, and I imagine uh, that that's, that's kind of where, where you found yourself at um, and, and that kind of shift where you found yourself that you might be, be looking at something different or, or tuning into something different. Totally. Yeah, um, and and I think I think it's it's, it's brilliant that that you, that you mention all the all the different things that you learn um, from working in the administration administration of the Obamas. Is there anything that, that that you can put your finger on for for what's helped you in this situation where you are? I think we'll we'll for the listeners we'll describe the situation where you are a little bit more, but hopefully it might it might be a good segue in, into that. Oh, for sure, I think. When you start doing things because you think others expect it of you, you kind of lose that sense of self. You know, I think, you know, oh, like I need to be successful. I need to make money. I need to make the most money. I need to continue, you know, climbing the ladder, whether it's the corporate world or even at the White House and and just be the ideal American success. But then you lose a lot of yourself. And one of those important things you start to lose is your voice. And I think throughout every one of these experiences, like looking at the first lady who doesn't look like any other first lady, who is outspoken about how she feels and her relationship to the world, um, I think is one of the biggest lessons that I learned is to speak up. You know, everyone deserves an opportunity to speak up. Everyone is important. And I think, you know, probably something I saw in her at that time but really didn't learn for myself until my husband left me and he had an affair and I had to be in therapy and really figure out my mental health. Mm. You know, what is Stephanie's true voice? What does she actually need and what does she want? Um, I think it's been kind of like the theme of my learning, especially in the last three years. And when I started shedding all the expectations and shedding what other people think I should be doing, I got really down to the core of what my authentic path should be. And that took a lot of hardship, a lot of tears, a lot of hard conversations with myself and with other people that love me in order to get to that point of recognition. But that's what brings me to being what, like 8,000, 7,000 miles away from you right now, you know, three months on the road, having visited a handful of different countries and I still have three months left is, Right now, what I'm trying to do is figuring out what Stephanie's voice sounds like when she's alone in the world. Do you think it brought you to that 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 defining moment where you, you kind of had to to look after yourself rather than doing all these different things for for other people, um, other people's beliefs? You know, making other people happy. Is it kind of the first time where you know you've you've you kind of embroiled yourself in all in in the therapy and in, in coming out and traveling and, and kind of experiencing the world? Do you think that's the first time you've actually consciously thought that you're going to go do it? 100%. I mean, self-care is something that is like really cool and trendy to talk about right now. Like everyone and every brand is talking about, oh, get a massage, put on a mask, like go do the self-care. But to mm. me, I learned through a very deep depression, self-care sometimes looks like saying, no, I'm yeah. not going to go out and do this. No, I'm not going to drink because it affects my depression. No, 
like, I need to stay home and wash my dishes because sometimes it's just too hard to get out of bed. Yeah. And I think the more we learn about the foundations of putting ourselves first and that self-care is not about people doing things to us, doing our hair, giving us a massage. Like, mm. those are nice maintenance things. But when you actually are the person creating that change for yourself and taking responsibility for what happens then, that's self-care and being totally fine, you know, no matter the judgment, like it's, you know, you should have friends that accept that, like, you don't want to go out that night because you got to, you got to rest, you know? And I think laying the foundation for self-care and then taking it to the next level, like, okay, I'm taking care of my body, which I'm sure like you felt when you had to like rehab. Mm -hmm. First, you take care of your body. You take care of your mind, you know, with the intellectual stuff and the reading and understanding more of where you are and you take care of your spirit. You know, that's, that's that soul and that energy. And like, that's what this travel part is. Like that's taking care of my soul and like connecting with people in a real organic way versus, Oh, I'm going to go to my nine to five job and we're going to talk about work and we're going to talk about work some more. And then we'll go get drinks after work and we'll talk about work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's more to life. Yeah. So, what, so, so when three months ago, when you decided to, to kind of up sticks and um, I remember you talking through quite a lot of opportunities that you could have taken on before you left um, and you kind of turned them down or you turned down those kind of, I guess they were like traditional kind of old school sort of stuff that you'd live by, those kind of beliefs and, 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 and regular things that you'd have taken on, whether it's an investment opportunity or whether it's to start up a new business or to, to sustain that corporate world. What was the intuition before you started traveling? Like, what was your intuition to, to get out there and, and, and to see stuff? Was that just basically just to allow a bit of time for yourself to see different things, or was there a bit more to that? Yeah. Well, first, I knew it was miserable. You know, like, the hierarchy and the construct of businesses today don't feed us as humans. They serve a higher purpose of the bottom line and financials, you know, it, it's not really made and constructed constructed so that we feel like we're li- living a purpose, you know? So recognizing number one, I wasn't happy. Yeah. And number two, that I have control over that. I think that was really important. And, you know, I once thought if you caught me like literally two years ago, I once thought like, Oh, I'm going to go to this level and then I'm going to be this level and then I'll be a VP and then I'll have a team you know, I thought that's the way people are successful. Mm. And, you know, leaving my job wasn't because I had to leave my job. I left my job because I chose to. I figured and I felt that the way that I was living was so much more miserable than the pain that it would take in order to make change in my life. So while my bosses were like, please don't leave, we'll do a promotion, we'll, you know, give you more money. We'll do this. We'll do that. You know, and that kept on, you know, making me check in with myself. Like, am I making the right decision? Am I really going to turn away and say no to a promotion when I've built 30 years gunning for promotion after promotion? Is that what I'm going to do? That's a big, that's and a because big decision. I did a, oh, totally. I mean, no, no paycheck, no health insurance. And so am I going to, am I going to walk away from that? And I think luckily I did a lot of hard work with my family, with my friends, 
were so supportive because once I thought to myself, like, I want to travel and experience, they were like, go for it. The only person stopping me from doing this is myself. Like I kept on being like coming up with reasons like, oh, well then I can't pay for this or I can't pay for that. Or what if I get sick? Or what if I don't have a job? There, there are so many what ifs in life and you can only make a decision based on the knowledge you know. And what I knew at that time was I'm unhappy yeah. and there has to be something better. Um, and you mentioned like, I want to start a business. I started talking to advisors. I started, you know, putting together thoughts about what it would look like. And I got to a point that I was like, do I want to invest 500% of my effort when I feel tired or do I need to take a break and recharge my mind and my creativity? And that was a hard decision that I made that actually, I jumped on the phone with one of my advisors and he said, you know what, Stephanie, if you want to travel, travel. There's a lot to be said about going into the world and living your life without the filter of daily expectations. Like the amount of creativity that you can have just be being out there in the world, you never know what you're going to come back with. And it might be a million times better. And yeah. from that conversation, I was like, I got to do it. I'm uh -huh. going. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, what you're saying there, is, I'm going to make a... I'm going to try and paraphrase Tim Ferriss' quote, but he says, you know, this kind of weighs it up. He's saying, you know, if you're unhappy already, you know, what's worse that you're going to be unhappy for trying something different? Um, and that's kind of where, where, where your situation falls into, I guess. Um, and now you find yourself three months in, having travelled. Can you list them? It's Vietnam, Thailand. Um, you're now yeah. in Indonesia. Um, yes. Is, is well, first I'm going to interrupt interrupt you and say, that's absolutely right. It's like weighing, it's being comfortable with how miserable I am better than being in the discomfort of creating change and just trying something I might like. I think we always think, oh, what's the worst that can happen? So I always challenge my friends, like, what's the best that can happen if yeah, you do it? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, very good. We don't think about it enough. And like literally my friend was like, do you regret leaving? No, not at all. This is the best decision I've ever made for myself because I made it for myself. But, um, so I started in the UK, your, you know, place of yeah, birth. Yeah. The best, then, probably the best spot you've been, I imagine. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I didn't, I did, I didn't make it to Leeds though. That's, that's number one yeah, on the list. Yeah, you always got to take Leeds off when you go to the UK. <laughs> next time, next time. Next time, next time. Um, I went to Spain, uh, Spain, Croatia. I did a road trip from the north to the south. I went straight to Vietnam. I met you. Obviously, things changed in my life after meeting you. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. <yeah. laughs> went yeah, to yeah. Cambodia. Uh, from Cambodia, I went to Thailand, which is the first country I did entirely by myself because I had a few friends come meet me out. And that was incredibly rewarding. Made so many friends and new experiences. Made my way to Bali, and now I'm in Lombok in Indonesia. And then I'll do the holidays here. I'll head over to Australia, New Zealand, and then it's kind of a question mark because I just don't know who I'll be at the end of New Zealand and what I'll feel like, and that's kind of like a magical type of uncertainty. Is that is that an exciting question mark or a, a, a fearful one as you sit here right now? That's a good question. I think yeah. the whole trip has been kind of coming to terms with uncertainty. I think, you know, when we're talking about my job with the First Lady, 
I was hired to plan. I was hired to think out and foreshadow and anticipate yeah. every possible need. And I've done that in my own life, in my different jobs. And even when I started this trip, I think I had like an 18-page document of every single place I was going, exactly what time and what yeah. bus and all that stuff. Have not used it Brilliant. since... Yeah, I haven't used it since end of Croatia because I think part of it is like really embracing the uncertainty um, and just going with it. Because if you keep on planning your life, you just don't know what you don't know. And what you don't know is probably the most, the coolest part of exactly. living life, you yeah. know? I, so um, I, I do feel, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to, I was just going to um, go off the back of that. Um, I remember 2016, um, I just finished like an England camp and there was like, because you finish later than all the other boys and the rhinos, there's not many people to go away with. And there weren't many plans that fit in with anywhere else. And I was like, right, well, I need to go away. I need to go somewhere and do summer. So I'd booked a flight to Hong Kong for some reason, Hong Kong. Like, I've never really been that interested in Hong Kong. Um, I booked a flight the day before, got on the flight. Booked my, I can remember booking my Airbnb just before I got on the flight, before I got there. Um, spent three nights in there um, in Hong Kong, but then decided from there to go to the Philippines and do um, a Dow Philippines trip, which is like a, a boating trip around all the islands and Palawan around there, which you you might have find time to do. I don't know. That, that could be it'll be something on your on your list. But um, I think that that like a realistic snapshot snapshot of it is that you might you might echo is sometimes when you're out there on your own and and you've got no plans and you're kind of bumbling around, you're wondering what the thing is to do there. Um, and you might look looking for the tourist kind of, the, the the ideal tourist thing to do. You might check that off, but then you're thinking, well, what else is, is going to happen? But then all of a sudden some, something will happen out of nowhere and you might meet someone and then you'll go on to the next thing and do the next thing. And I think that's where the magic happens when you're travelling. Um, and that was one of the best things I did, just taking off to Hong Kong and, and, and finding myself around the Philippines on this tour and meeting all these different people. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it, there's, there's some good question marks on there and, and the uncertainty is where you, you learn, learn a lot, um, putting yourself in that situation and, and, and I guess stretching that comfort zone as well is, is, a, is a big learning point too. Totally. I actually was in pre preparation for a convo. I listened to some of your podcasts this morning. Oh, all right. When Fantastic. I was, uh, yeah. Just, <laughs> and just I, keep ticking I them up. <laughs> More listeners are good. More I remember, good. <laughs> I'm just going to listen to them on repeat the yeah. whole trip so yeah, I can yeah, get yeah, your yeah. numbers up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, you, you mentioned something that I say all the time, you know, and especially have experienced on this trip is get scared. You know, like, I think that so many of us, and especially through traveling, I see how we can live in a bubble of comfort. Mm. And when you live in a bubble of comfort, everything is predictable. You know, you know what to expect. You know how you're going to feel. You know what's going to happen the next day. And when you're traveling, every single minute is different from the minute before. Yeah. There is no day that's been exactly the same. And what that does is, of course, create all these different emotions, fear, excitement, um, joy, loneliness mm. is one that's been happening too occasionally. Yeah. Um, but I think those are the things that I've, I've learned the most is like putting myself out there, getting a little scared, 
and adapting and understanding what life skills I can bring to the table. And I also think there's some big lessons that I've been reflecting on and will write about in my blog as well. Um, But in terms of, we always think about our physical safety. You know, is the place I'm traveling to, is it safe? Is there a crime, pickpocketing, violence, protesting? But what I've learned most on this trip, and especially as a woman traveling by herself, is am I going to find the mental safety? Like the place where I can get enough sleep so I have enough energy. It takes a lot of energy and thought about even feeding myself sometimes. Like I have to go out into the world and face people who don't speak English sometimes. You know, it's not the food that I'm used to. And I have to put energy into feeding myself. So am I mentally going to be safe? And I think that's something that we kind of take for granted uh, while traveling. Yeah, for sure, yeah. It is, it is an effort. It is an effort to go and not just decide what you want on the menu and try and work it out, work it out whether it's something that you'd normally eat or not, but to kind of deal with people, to, to know their kind of courtesy and, 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 and discourse what it'd be like. And, um, yeah, it's, it certainly is. That's something that you, you kind of neglect, really. You think just physical safety. Yeah, exactly. Is, is it going to... Is it going to be violent? Is anything like that going to happen? But you do need to think about that side of things as well, about navigating and, and kind of getting around mm-hmm. and getting to the right places, which is which is something big. But I think that kind of links brilliantly, really, uh, Steph, to your blog. Um, and this is something that we kind of obviously struck up quite um, a lot of comparisons in when we met. Um, wildtypebeauty.com. Um, I've had, had a, quite a look into a few few articles, and I'd say it's unapologetically honest. I think it's 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 very raw. It's and surprisingly, it's called mentality. But the the readership and, and the people that listen to the podcast is sixty forty to women. So there's forty percent women. You are the first ever woman to to be a guest on mentality. So you've got you've got the you've got the big Woo! credentials there, Steph. Yeah, <laughs> you've got the credentials there. Um, <laughs> And, and I think this blog's. I think this blog. It's like it, it reminds me of, of of the first you know few months of mentality where we're putting just smashing stuff on and it was raw, you're honest, and and it's like really breaking down the the doors of 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 uh, perception of normality really um, for for what people are post. And I think for a lady that that's come from a position that you have. Um, and done the stuff that you have and, and worked your way up in the corporate world and, and, and done all that to, to kind of put put this online and, and to obviously more for the female female perspective to, to offer something really powerful to be completely transparent in what you've been going through I think is is, is incredible um, and uh, we mentioned at the start where we'd where we'd just randomly been at the same yoga spot and, and then all of a sudden started ch- chatting for four or five hours on on this on this perspective. Um, I think it's I think it's remarkable and and I think it's something which which a lot of lot of women listening to to this will will have a look at and and, and find a lot of solace in and, and and a lot of lessons. What. What are the lessons that you've learned from from doing this blog? I remember you talking about the fear that that you had from from putting it out there, but and we'll talk a little bit about your latest article, which I can't wait to ask you about um, shortly about Wonderland. But what are the the biggest lessons you've learned, and 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 also if you can talk a little bit about the therapy that that you've you've undertaken as well, and and how that helped you, and and kind of paint a picture for people to 
they may, if they may consider it or, or may think it's something important they can do in their life. Yeah, well, A, thanks for reading. I think that's really important to say. And I'd like to also say that I get a lot of feedback from men that, re- that read my blog, which All is right. exciting. So, there you go. Um, mm. I think, yeah, I think generally we're in a time where people are curious about self and reflection. And I think the more vulnerable and raw you are, the more compelling and interesting it is because Honestly, on social media, I'm tired of seeing people just living their best lives because it's, it's not true. We cannot be 100% happy all the time. So what's it look like when we are our most vulnerable selves, our most authentic selves? So I think that's really important. Um, but one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through therapy and definitely uh, reflection within this blog, and I started this blog, I think, in April of this past year. So I had already gone through maybe two and a half years of therapy, like intense therapy to overcome understanding what happened in my relationship, my depression. Um, but I think one of the biggest things is that so many of us, and I know women do this in talking to my girlfriends, is we focus on our romantic relationships. Why did this guy not call? Or this was the best date ever, but... Um, you know, he's kind of not my type or, you know, all I want to do is get married and have children. But what we don't really talk about as much, and I think what I learned the most coming out of this, because when I started therapy, I was just focusing on my former relationship with my ex-husband. What we don't focus on, which I did intensely after learning, is our relationship to ourselves. And I think that it doesn't matter what gender is. Each of us the more awareness we have of self and understanding of ourself, the more acceptance we have and the more self-love we have. And that's the mm. ultimate goal. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think I'm just, just talking about that, the relationship with self and, and stuff like that. Is there any, any books that, that you'd recommend um, or any kind of reading material, any stuff that, that's come into your life um, over these past two and a half years that, that you'd recommend people to have a look at? Yeah, 100%. Um, there are three books two of which are by Brene Brown. I don't know if you've ever read them, yeah. but she's an American. Okay, wonderful. Well, first of all, the uh, one book that I refused to read for a long time until I finally accepted I needed to read it and then it changed my life was um, Daring Greatly, yeah. where it talks a lot about our shame and vulnerability and how our vulnerability is the antidote to shame. I think I didn't realize until reading that in her powerful storytelling that I hid behind my shame. I created this protective barrier uh, because I was afraid of who I actually was. And that's actually how I became a workaholic. And so successful in my career is that I ignored my personal life. I got so much positive attention in my career, whether it be money or recognition, or even just like sometimes social interaction, that I would put 100% of my effort into just my work. But what I ended up doing is kind of shutting everybody off, shutting myself off to experiencing joy and excitement because I was so protective of not feeling shame. Like it's a really disgusting, uncomfortable feeling. So that's one that helped. And then the second one is um, Her Gifts of Imperfection. Have you read that before? No, I've not read that one. I've, I've heard a lot of okay. Brenna Brown and, and I know that she's massive on on the kind of Gift of vulnerability. That's that's. I think that's a TED Talk of hers, isn't it? That people can look up, look up. Um, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So people can have a look up for that, and then also I'll, I'll put these books in in the um, in the bio as well in the description for people to pick up. Wonderful. 
So Gifts of Imperfection is a short, easy read. I actually read it when I was on the beach in Colombia, South America. Um, I had started traveling one-off internationally as much as possible. And it just like hit me that perfectionism, as much as I try to be, you know, the best employee, the best daughter, the best sister, the best friend, this idea of perfectionism, as we know, is unobtainable, but is actually a it's a protective measure. You know, like if I appear to be perfect, then maybe people will accept me. But it's actually that one thing that keeps us apart. So I think that really changed my perspective on why I'm trying so hard to be a perfectionist. And, you know, I built my whole entire life, whether it's the job that I tried to make money off of, of being a perfectionist. My job required that I know all the details and be perfect and make zero mistakes. I had so much anxiety. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. And so... You've got the you've yeah, got the like country's pressure resting on your shoulders. Yeah, you've got you've got to be anxious. I wouldn't to a go degree. that far. <laughs> <laughs> the last book was attached. Um, it's the theory of adult relationships, right? And I thought it was really important because from therapy, and I was really dissecting not just my former relationship with my ex husband, but my relationships with my parents, with friends. And I realized that I've never had any healthy role models for how you actually communicate and work together with another person. So this book, although I didn't read all of it, I read a lot of the examples of what a healthy conversation around conflict looks like. Whereas before, when I got in a fight, and I don't know if you've ever done this with an ex-girlfriend, but one thing happens and all of a sudden you start fighting and screaming but you're no longer fighting about the thing that actually yeah. started it, you know? Mm. And so nothing gets resolved. And I think that was important to recognize my own role in relationships. Like what about me attracts these people and what about my patterns of communication and the way I think about myself exacerbates problems. So those were pre pretty valuable in terms of getting to know myself. And, and who was the author of Attached? Is that... Can you remember that one? Um, you can Google that. Amir Levin, Amir something, and Rachel Levin, or something like that. Right. Okay. We'll 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 Google that and, and get it all typed up nicely on the on the bio that we buy. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and also, just one straight from wildtypebeauty.com. Um, the um, the top line of it is the beauty of human condition. Um, can you explain some thinking behind that? Yes, I think. So many of us in our in our societies and education systems are always cel celebrating our diversity. How are we different? Mm. When I was going through my depression, I felt so alone. I was like, I'm the only one that feels like I can drop off the face of the earth at any moment and no one will care. I'm the only one that feels so empty inside that nobody loves me. And those are really hard feelings to mm. feel especially when you feel like you're alone. And I think the reason why I started the blog is because when I started being more vulnerable and opening up about how I actually felt, people would be like, oh yeah, me too. I've thought about that too. You know, and I think that was so important to realize, actually, I'm not alone. And if we talk about these vulnerable, raw feelings more 
and destigmatize these negative feelings as just human feelings, we're actually all connected. We're all the same. And that feeling of a connected community is actually what helped me get out of that depression. It's what helps me continue to work on my mental health because let's be honest, I'm never going to get rid of my anxiety. I'm never going to get rid of my depression. But when I feel a certain way that doesn't feel as nice and very uncomfortable, I know that I've created safe places and friendships and even brought safe people like you into my life where I can say these things without judgment and I'll be accepted. And you'll probably say like, oh, I felt the same way. Actually, you did <laughs> when you mentioned like how you started your online magazine. It came from the same place. You know, and I, so I think that's so important to realize that the human condition, we're not alone. Each of us feels joy, sadness, excitement, love, disappointment, loss. And it's just talking about those things is how we become so much more emotionally connected and feel less alone. Yeah, I like that. I think that's, I think that's, um, cause it caught, it caught my eye earlier. Um, and it was just, it was obviously amongst all these articles and stuff, um, you, you're kind of going through, I'm just looking right now, there's, there's quite a few different chapters to it, different voices to it even. You've got the voice of your best friend, um, which I think is brilliant for, for anyone listening to, to go have a look at it um, and to to kind of understand even more where, where you are in, in, in your travels. and um, Yeah, it's much appreciated and I'm, I'm enjoying this podcast um, to, to, <laughs> to kind of have a, have, a, have, a, have a familiar point of view for launching something like that. Um, but I just wanted to, on the back of that, ask you, ask you what, what kind of shift you feel is coming on what kind of shift do you feel has been the most rewarding thing from being out there and, and doing all this stuff? That's a good question, actually. I think so much of the blog and my thinking has been reflective of the past. It's kind of making sense. When you feel lost, it feels like your whole life exploded and there are fragments and shrapnel everywhere. And it's kind of like picking up each piece and figuring out, oh, does this go here? Does this go here? But when you go through loss, it's like, those pieces no longer fit, right? So it's like finding new pieces. What does your new life look like? And so the past three years has been getting from a place of having intense paralysis about what a whole new life looks like, building the tools, resources, and communities to build a new life and reflecting on that journey, which, you know, if you do read the blog, you will see there's one part that talks about how I got to this place and the, my movements into into therapy and mental health and what my sessions with my therapist look like to even psychological terms because I honestly thought therapy was voodoo magic. I'm like, you expect me to talk about my feelings and that will fix me, yeah. that will heal me? That makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. So when I, when I started reading about psychology, it really is based upon patterns of human behavior. And when we find ourselves in patterns, we can break them. You just have to be aware. And so I talk about those things. And then I've also started interviewing kind of like how you're interviewing me about mental health. I've been interviewing women and people of color because I've realized that a lot of mental health advertising and marketing out there is actually for white women, you know, who don't look like me because they're the largest percentage of the demographic that participates in mental wellness. But what I go through as a first-generation daughter of immigrants who escaped a Vietnam War is not the same as a person who grew up in the Black culture of America 
And so interviewing women who are everyday champions, they haven't, you know, climbed Mount Everest. They've just become good in their careers or Mm. have had a reckoning with themselves and their relationships with their mothers or being adopted. Or sometimes they're social media queens that struggle with their mental health because you're constantly comparing yourself. So that's kind of what's been happening. And as I've been traveling, I've been really working on being much more of a cultural critic, like analyzing what mental health and how it's marketed to us and what we accept as mental health and self-care. Is that really what it is? And you alluded to this earlier, but I went to a healing center in Thailand. I was just going to ask you about that, yeah. (laughs) It was so interesting because it had you met me a couple years ago. I like buttoned up the top of my shirt and I was very proper and never in a million years would I've ever gone to attending moon gatherings so that I can let go of bad feelings into the universe and worship the moon or, you know, I was at that point willing to try anything. And so I found a lot of uh, relief and learning through meditation, through yoga. So for me, when I went to Thailand, I saw this healing center and it was a yoga retreat. So I was like, oh, I'll definitely go there. I'm going to rest. I'm going to relax. I'm going to be renewed. And what I actually encountered there was a very confronting time and experience with what people accept as guidance on self-care, you know, telling you, you should be doing this. You should feel this. You should be confronting this. And it was difficult given everything that I've experienced and learned to have someone else saying, I know better. So just listen to me and you'll be fine. Mm. Can you, yeah, I, I would just going to go on to Wonderland. You've, you've written a, an incredible article on that. Um, when I read it, you sent me the link and I read it and I thought, well, what's this going to be about? I kind of had an idea and Wonderland Healing Center. Um, and I thought going on to it, I thought, it's going to be a nice write-up. It's going to be saying how much it's helped and, um, you know, kind of going down that path. I thought I'd go down that, that avenue, really. Um, but reading on more and more, you kind of you display the feelings that you have. You display the kind of the anxiety towards what, what's going on. Um, and I, I don't know, if it, could you go into a bit more depth for, for what you felt going into it and then for what... Obviously, obviously you kind of... you you're, um, you're offered these kind of, I don't know, guru type figures, aren't you? That 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 are kind of that will help people. Um, but yeah, I'll let, I'll let you check it over there, Steph. Sure. So I think you know, like I mentioned before, we're in this age where we want to find out more about ourselves. We're also in the age where we're searching. You know, we feel a little bit lost because I think our generation. I think we're the same generation, um, but our generation doesn't really participate in the social construct that has happened for generations before. We're more independent. We want more purpose in our lives. And so I think, you know, we're searching, which I think is most important. That's a very common theme. So when I went to Wonderland, I actually ran into like 99% of the people quit their jobs just like me. And they're searching to figure out what is next for them. You know, they're unhappy. They don't know where to look. So they're there. And it's nice because it's you know, A, it's beautiful. B, you get unlimited yoga retreats. There's massage therapists on on campus. There's vegan food galore. And so it's pretty cushy, you know? But I think 
what started to come out was that being lost is extremely vulnerable. And when you're that vulnerable, you have to be even more careful about the advice that you're taking and just not taking it for what it's, you know, face value is because you should be incredibly critical about your mental health and what you bring into your life and invite into your life. And so when I first started going to, you know, the healing center, I was so enthusiastic. I was like, I'm going to do meditation. I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to be so fit. I'm going to be so relaxed. It's going to be great. And when I started listening to what the leaders were saying here, and I started listening to the yoga practice and preaching, what it was actually doing, whether it wants to admit it or subconsciously is doing it, is forcing people into self-actualization, forcing vulnerable people into self-actualization, which is pretty dangerous because when, like I said before, when you make a mess of your life, you have to have the right tools, resources, and communities community in order to pick it back up. And they don't have that. And you drop in, you drop out. So it was pretty scary to see for me after learning so much about myself that people were vulnerable and asking for guidance. And the person who was giving the guidance more interested in what they had to say and almost like an egotizing way of listening to all the wisdom that they have rather than accepting this person's emotions and feelings about yeah. how lost they feel. Yeah, what, what I was really interested in to, um, there's, there's one point there that you've made that which I think, you know, when people go there and they're lost and they're searching and, and they're in a bit of a, a bad spot and, you know, they're wondering, they're wondering for some sort of um, stability, some sort of answer. Um, I guess they're presented there with some sort of, I guess conditioning or some sort of answer that they're given there over the space of five days as a, as a bit of a short-term measure. I don't know. I think that's that's kind of my thinking and my reading into it that, that, that they'd come away with some sort of answer that, that might tide them over for the next few weeks. Um, but after that, you know, they've still, they've still got that sort of cause or that sort of deep, deep-rooted cause or um, question for themselves that they come away with still. Um, and I imagine that's not really helped them too much. But I, I, I wanted to, to ask in a specific situation on, on this Wonderland, what was the campfire like? I remember you t- um, in the oh. article you read about the, ca- <laughs> the campfire. Just Can you just paint a picture for, for the listeners for that, please? Yeah, totally. So it was the end of the very first day and, you know, I had just, went through these yoga classes, you know, when you're traveling, you're cramped, you're carrying a backpack. And the nicest thing you could possibly do is be nice to your body. Yeah. So at night they have programming where this one was, we sit around a bonfire and, you know, I was kind of nervous because I was like, Oh man, are we going to have to share things like how we feel? And I've done this before, but I just didn't want to do it that night, to tell you the truth. I'd been tired. So it's about 30 people around a big bonfire. And it was really interesting because it's actually, and this is a prompt for anybody trying to do these things, to just do research, ask the right questions, think of questions. But I came to learn that it's on a commune, and it's just a group of friends who were like, we love yoga, we love the idea of healing, let's make a community focused on this. And so the leaders of this um, commune are also the leaders at this fire, bonfire. 
And it was kind of interesting because like I mentioned before, I've done, you know, group roundtables. I've done let's share our feelings and journal about it. I've done a lot of those things in different settings. And for this one, it was interesting because the person that runs the commune or helps run the commune is in high regard there and kind of rambled on on this monologue about himself, you know, and I think the hard thing there is what you're trying to do in those situations is create a safe space. But he was talking about himself, his own journey, which I think is fine. But I think what ended up happening is he starts to, he's starting to create a place where he wants you to be vulnerable so that he can give you advice. And that's exactly what started happening. And he's like, I need a brave soul to, to share their intention. And I was so tired of the rambling on because it was like directionless, but I raised my hand immediately, even though I didn't want to talk at all. Yeah. And so I talked about my intentions for the year and traveling and how I've met it. And the next person went and what at the end of speaking, you know, it's a very uh, hippy dippy place. So they put their hands together, they bow their heads and, you know, but what happened after the fact for people who maybe weren't as, concise or clear or maybe newer to the experience when they said how they felt he started to tell them oh here's a better intention or what you're trying to say is this and ultimately what he's doing is just dismissing what they have to say entirely so that mm-hmm. he can speak you know and so and that's where it becomes really dangerous because then it's not a safe space no. in fact he's saying i have authority listen to me i'll tell you the right way to feel i'll tell you the right way because you're missing something, but I know what that something is. So it was, it pretty much set the tone for the rest of the, the, my stay there. And I was only there for five days, but people stay there for weeks, for months, because it feels like a bubble of safety where they can do some exploration. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember you, you, uh, the opening paragraph of it was, um, the kind of joke saying that you, you, People come for five days, but they never end up leaving. Or, and that's like an introduction. That's some introduction to the place, isn't it? And um, and I know that you've you've kind of you, you kind of paint an even more vivid picture through the article, which is really definitely worth a read. Um, but I think it's good that you can go there and learn something and and bring something back. And obviously through this conversation, um, people that are looking to do stuff like that, yeah, definitely do your research and and kind of. Um, understand understand what you're getting into i imagine is that that be a message wouldn't it steph um but i think i think um, oh yes go on go on darling you're right i was just gonna say <laughs> that's definitely a lesson but i think you know when you get to the end of it one of the biggest lessons and maybe we're even just going to move into this is you know when you're searching you're looking outwards you know, about how you should be living your life. But the real answer is reflecting on yourself and everything you need is inside, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that what I mentioned before, that like self-awareness, like, why do I feel this way? Like giving yourself context for the things that you're doing and the actions that you're having, because most importantly, every single behavior and action is triggered by a feeling. So knowing what those feelings are helps you understand the course of action that you take and especially when it comes to taking care of yourself. Um, and I think that was the biggest lesson is that there's going to be a million people who have an opinion, a million people who are trying to sell you something or think that they know better than you. 
And when you recognize like your true path and once you get there and you feel good about it and confident about it, it's sticking to it as much as possible mm-hmm. because that's the only way that you're going to feel satisfaction is if you're doing it for yourself and you feel good about it. I like that. I like that. Um, and that's it's something that, that's kind of, that stuck out to me where, where you were saying about the leader or the, the guy that was kind of holding that talk. Um, for people to second guess how they feel, you know, when they're talking about how they feel and they're kind of being vulnerable enough to speak about it and open up. And then for someone to direct for what they should be feeling or how they should, you know, kind of create what what, what they're, you know, create what they're feeling or create what, what they're, they're trying to do. You know, it's quite a it's, it's, it's quite a tough thing to hear that, I imagine, if you're being vulnerable enough and, and strong and brave enough to open up. So, um yeah, I think that there's definitely some kind of understanding to be done. And, and from where you're talking there about self-awareness, um, that's for me, that's just a tool which which should be picked up. It needs to be starting being picked up in schools. I know schools are doing more stuff on it, um, but to be aware of your thoughts and feelings and to kind of understand the, the patterns and, and the reactions that you're having. I'm not a psychologist, but I've done probably similar to, to you Steph a lot of a lot of looking into it and a lot of stuff around it um, but I, I'd, I'd say that that is one of the biggest tools and, and meditation helps with that yoga helps with that but to become more self-aware and to be more in governance of your feelings and, and what you do from it um, is is really really big in all walks of life um, I'd, I'd say or I'd, I'd off the back of that I'd ask What's the kind of biggest thing that, that you've that you've kind of uncovered that, that you've kind of found out is 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 that meditation is that in linking with with the therapy is that something that that, that you've sought to be one of the biggest things that you've that you've done or, or found out? Those are all tools. You know, you talked about tools a second ago. I completely agree. Like meditation, yoga, uh, friends, resources, therapy. Those are all tools. And I think the biggest thing that has done wonders for me is feeling my feelings. Mm. I think I avoided them for so long. You know, there are times where instead of being by my the TV on, I'll get on the Facebook, I'll get on Instagram, I'll call a friend, I'll go out, I'll do more work even if I don't have to do work because I'm so afraid of spending time with myself because that means I have to feel feelings. And those feelings can be really uncomfortable. They can be great, but they also can be uncomfortable. Mm. And so when I was going to therapy, the first time my therapist was like, you think a lot. You don't really talk about feeling. And I was like, what? They're the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) In which I now know (laughs) they're not at all. You know, and I think feeling the feelings means that you have to sit by yourself and sit in that uncomfort, discomfort. And tell yourself, you can get through it. You don't have to run away. Um, And journaling has been another awesome tool for doing that. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, literally sitting with a book page and whatever comes to your mind. There is no perfect way to spend time with yourself. It's just a matter of being purposeful with it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And um, I'd just throw something else in there. I think uh, once you've, you've done a lot of that, self-awareness and <clears throat> whether it be journaling whether it be kind of th- those methods to to understand yourself more um to know thyself more um i think i think 
something we do with mentality is um, whether it's been on a retreat or workshops is is to get guys to look at the values um, so what works for them you know and and it's different for every other guy it's different for you know it might be different for one rugby player to the next rugby player but it's how they take it out it's how they work and and it's it's what they've what's worked for them through their life and typically it's something that that that'll excite you um, and I think one big thing for that is um, which I've kind of learned is is to link your behaviours to your values um, and to go out and, and and behave in the way that, that responds to your values, even if you don't feel like it. There's times where you don't feel like it or you don't want to go and do it. Um, but it's almost like a fake it till you make it thing, that is, um, which I've learned is... Totally. It's it's like connect, connecting with people is a really big thing for me. Um, so if you go out and connect with people and, and, and kind of get yourself into the groove or the motion of that and, and kind of go and, and do something that, that usually works in tangent with you, you know, you, you kind of find yourself back in that in that path. And, and like you said, that you're, you're not, you're, you're kind of true path or what works for you. Um, acting on displays of that, acting on kind of the, the grooves of what that normally would be and it can kind of put you in sync again. Um, so I think that's a real. For I agree. Me, the last six months is a really big thing that I found out. Really, I I think you're right about the acting on the values and kind of like staying within the theme of your life. Because once I started having that north star, things kind of fell into place. Like we met for a reason, mm. you know. And anywhere in the world, two totally different people. You're an athlete. I'd love to be an athlete. That's not going to happen. <laughs> You're a good <laughs> athlete. Then, we, eh? met, <laughs> we met in Vietnam at a yoga place. And honestly, one of the things that I loved about meeting you is exactly what you're doing with mentality. Um, you know, when I spoke earlier about women, white women being the majority of the demographic, somebody needs to be talking to the men. Men need to be talking about their mental health. They're also a disenfranchised um, demographic. And also between men and women, I love the fact that we're doing this and that I'm the first woman on a, woman on a podcast, that this is the first man that I'll probably talk about and write about on my <laughs> blog because yes. it's, it's not man versus, yeah, <laughs> it's not man versus woman. You know, mm. we are the same. Like we go through the same things and in fact, we try to have relationships with each other. We should try to talk the, the same language. And I think that's why these discussions are so important that we're on the same team when it comes to mental wellness and emotional wellness. Like, more of this needs to happen, you know? Mm, so I, that's sure. what, and also meeting you in terms of, I didn't even know that you're an athlete, but the first thing when I asked, oh, what do you do? Mentality. Mm. That was the first thing. And then mm. later on, I figured out that you're a Googleable, and I Googled you, and I was like, oh, that's you in this short <laughs> short? <laughs> oh, what a guy. What a guy. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. Yeah. But I think that's amazing, because when you figure out what your mission and your vision is for your life, you know, and I'm talking about this with, you know, working for the Obamas, like your mission is to serve with the American people. You know, my mission now in this next part of my life is traveling is to live, to learn, and to share what I've learned in terms of mental health and self-care. And mm. I think that's kind of where we, our, our paths have crossed. And I think that's the most awesome thing about how this universe works is 
when you stick to your theme, your path, your values, the opportunities come. Yeah, I um, I couldn't think of anything better to to wrap it up on there, Steph. Couldn't think of anything better. Um, we've covered most of what I wanted to chat about, but I, I think I think just for people listening, obviously wildtypebeauty.com. Do you want any people to go and look at your Instagram or Twitter or anything that you direct through there to, or do you want them to just go onto the blog and, and get lost in that? I think reading the blog, because that's, if you're ever going to know me, I put every single piece of who I am into that thing. Um, uncurated. It's the opposite of social media. It's basically the most raw, unedited, unfiltered, uncurated thing, unchronological uh, that I could possibly have put out there. And also reach out. Like, I love talking about these things. The most growth comes from the people who reach out and talk about their, their experiences and we connect on those things. So I'm not someone that's like, follow me. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Reach out. Let's yeah. talk. Like you it. know, like read, it. you know, let's connect. So I'm all about that. Brilliant. We'll sign off for that stuff.